While they're making their way out, if you want to find Matthew chapter 2, Matthew chapter 2, Matthew's uh, account of the Christmas story, which is the one that gives us the story of the wise men. Thank you for standing as we open the Word of God together. Matthew chapter 2. I'm going to read these uh, first 12 verses, and of course we'll, we'll make note of what happened after that as well. It's uh, one of the most tragic stories in all of Scripture. Matthew chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. I titled this message, Seekers and Cynics, but it really involves so much more than that. But that's what we seem to see in our world today. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of King Herod, wise men from the east arrived unexpectedly in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was deeply disturbed, all Jerusalem with him. So he assembled all the chief priests and the scribes and the people and asked them where the Messiah would be born. In Bethlehem of Judea, they told him, because this was what was written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah, because out of you will come a leader who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly summoned the wise men and asked them exact, the exact time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child, and when you find him, report back to me so that I too can go and worship him. And after hearing the king, they went on their way. There it was, the star they had seen in the east. It led them until it came and stopped above the place where the child was. And when they saw the star... They were overjoyed beyond measure. Entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and falling to their knees, they worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their own country by another route. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for this true story, these Wise men who came to worship the one who was born to be the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I pray that from the various people in this story, that we will learn how to respond to the people we encounter in our world every day. Most of all, we will seek to be Christ-like as we present Christ to the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. In the uh, next few weeks, as Pastor Ben mentioned, we're going to celebrate uh, Christmas a, a little bit different. We're taking our mission statement this year. Uh, our mission statement as a church, that we're, we're seeking to lead our neighborhoods, the nations, and the next generation to know, love, and serve Jesus Christ. And so, over the next three Sundays, we'll look at the nations. Uh, we'll start actually next Sunday with the neighborhood, uh, looking at our neighbors, the, the nations, the, the following Sunday as we celebrate White Christmas. If you were wondering what the White Christmas tree was all about, if you're uh, new to us this year, and a good number of you are, those ornaments with gifts are gifts that you can purchase. Um, you can bring those back wrapped in white on White Christmas, and at the end of the service, we'll have a time where we bring gifts uh, to the families in our community that is part of our invitation that morning, our missions march, flags will be brought forth and gifts will be presented. 
And so if the Lord has blessed you and you want to be a part of that and you want to take one of the ornaments, uh, you're making a commitment to take that ornament and bring that gift. And so that's a special time as we uh, uh, celebrate ministering to, to needs in our own community, but also uh, we're going to take up an offering that Sunday. We'll receive an offering for international missions. Uh, we'll hear from some missionaries via video that morning, so I'm looking forward to that. And then the next generation, the Sunday before Christmas, uh, will uh, be kind of the third part of that. There's even a three-part drama that's going to carry you all the way through that, that Pastor Ben's been working diligently to, to put together, and it will uh, present that story of uh, the hope of Christmas to the nations, our neighborhood, the nations, and the next generation. Uh, when we look at this world, sometimes we wonder, how do we respond to the various responses? You say, what, I, what, what do I mean by that? How do we respond to the various ways in which people are responding to the very idea of Christmas? Whether that idea is a picture of God incarnate in His Son, Jesus Christ, redeeming the world to Himself, or whether it is just the idea of celebration of a holiday, or if it's just some vague generalization or commercialization of Christmas. How do we respond to how others respond to the whole idea of Christmas? I like quoting Dave Barry from time to time, especially in our, our men's fraternity uh, Bible studies with the, with the fellows, but Dave Barry, in his notes on Western Civilization, was making uh, an observation of how school has changed for his children as compared to what it was like when he went to school and how politically correct the whole idea of Christmas has become at school. And here's what Dave Barry writes. He says, to avoid offending anybody, the school dropped religion altogether and started singing about the weather. At my son's school, they now hold the winter program in February and sing increasingly non-memorable songs such as Winter Wonderland, Frosty the Snowman, and, this is a real song, Susie Snowflake. All of which is pretty funny because we live in Miami. <laughs> a visitor from another planet would assume that the children belong to the Church of Meteorology. Well, that's sort of what we've tried to do with Christmas, it seems like, in America today. People respond differently to the, the message of Christmas, the idea of Christmas, all that Christmas means. It means something It seems different to various ethnic groups, people from a variety of backgrounds. It's different to various families, and it's certainly different depending on your personal worldview and, and your view of Scripture and what it teaches us. Obviously, Bible-believing Christians, those who believe that there is a God and that we're not Him and that God has revealed Himself through His Word and through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, we embrace a, a biblical perspective and worldview of Christmas. We embrace Galatians 4, 4, and 5, which says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent, his, sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. As a matter of fact, if we are a Bible-believing Christian, we are a disciple of Christ, we're living for Him and following Him, we cannot even imagine the idea of Christmas without the gospel of Christ itself permeating everything that we celebrate. That's what Christmas is all about, that God the Son became a man to give His life to redeem us. We, we can't picture an, a Christmas celebration without Easter on the brain, without thinking about the fact that the manger was 
there in the shadow of a cross that Christ would come to redeem the world. But what about those who have not fully grasped the message or heard the message or understood the message or perhaps those who have rejected the message? I think the reactions of those around the world today can be reflected by the different ones mentioned in this story, from the wise man to the religious Jews to even Herod himself. How are people responding to the idea of Christmas, the message of Christmas, or whatever celebration they sense is taking place around them? And I want us to see in the wise men a, a more sincere crowd in this passage than the others I'll mention. In the wise men, I want you to see those who make a sincere inquiry. A sincere inquiry. They were truly seekers of what it was that God was trying to reveal. So we often refer to these wise men as seekers. You might have seen the, the billboard or the bumper sticker that said, Wise men still seek him. In verses 1 and 2, we can tell that these men were astronomers of some type from the east. After Jesus born in Bethlehem of uh, Judea, in, those day, in the days of King Herod, wise men from the east. Unexpectedly, nobody was looking for this. We'll talk about the sad indifference of the, the other crowd that's mentioned here in just a moment. But no one else was looking for this. They arrived and, and, and they were saying, where is he who is born king of the Jews? We've seen his star in the east, we've come to worship him. While they were in the east, they saw this, this star. And the star was continuing to guide them along their journey. We saw in verses 9 and 10, even when they left the king and they went, it was the star that they saw that stopped above where the child was. And they saw the star, it says, they were overjoyed with great measure. Now, people like to debate whether this star was a literal star in the Milky Way galaxy or whether it was a supernatural star placed within our atmosphere. And with me, it really doesn't make that much difference because it doesn't affect my theology. First of all, I do believe it was a literal star because this is written very literally, so I believe it was a literal star. But whether it was outside of the atmosphere of the earth and in the galaxy, and these were astronomers who saw how this star had moved about and, and how God supernaturally in time had placed this star where it needed to be, or whether God had taken a light, a star, and placed it within our atmosphere so that they could follow it closely. Neither one of those interpretations messes with my theology. I believe that God performed a miracle and provided this light, this star, for these men to seek that were looking for something. Now, we might ask the question, well, then, how did they know to even be looking for a star? What were they seeking? What was this all about? And I believe it becomes a great illustration of the fact that we, first of all, have a God who seeks us, a God who is revealing himself to us. I think it illustrates a couple of areas of God's divine revelation in our lives. We might call it general revelation, and we might call it special revelation. When we use a term like general revelation, we're saying that God speaks... God reveals himself. God communicates through his creation. It may be the stars. It may be the mountains. It may be the oceans. God speaks through creation. He speaks through history. All of those subjective ways where we can look and see and be inspired and say there has to be a God, and God is trying to tell us something 
That's what we would call general revelation. In Psalm chapter 19, verses 1 and following, it says that the stars or the firmament proclaims the glory of the Lord. And so even a starry night when you walk outside on a clear, crisp, cool night and you look up and you see the stars, it's a reminder that God is shouting something to us. He's trying to tell us something. In Romans chapter 1 and verses 18 through 20, we are told that we are without excuse because since the creation of the world, God has been using creation to try to tell us something. You can't go to the North Georgia mountains or down to the Georgia coast or travel to the west or go halfway around the world without stopping and going, wow, there is a God who is saying something to us. You can't look at a starry night without thinking the stars are saying something about the glory and the majesty of of Almighty God. Now here's the thing. General revelation is enough to leave us without excuse, but it's not enough to save us. Not enough to, not enough to save us. We need something that is objective. We need something that is black and white, something that is clear. And so the Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. There is the living Word of God, the Lord Jesus Christ Himself, the written Word of God, the Bible, which is also living and and quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. So God was clearly and specifically revealing himself and his purposes and his plans in and through the Word of God. And that's where it comes into play here as they begin to ask for insight of where this, this Messiah was to be born. And we see this quote from Micah chapter 5 and verse 2. You could also look at 2 Samuel 5 and verse 2 that God was speaking through His Word concerning the coming of His Son. In John chapter 1, verse 1 and 14, we see the importance of special revelation in the, purpose, in the person of Christ. In the beginning was the Word, it says, and then the Word became flesh. That's the incarnation. That's Christmas. The Word became flesh. Jesus, God the Son, put on flesh and blood and dwelt among us. He first came as a baby that first Christmas and we beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. See, all of creation is screaming that God is trying to tell us something, but it's the Bible itself and the Lord Jesus Christ Himself that's saying, and here it is, here's what I am here to say. Love what Michael Card sings in one of his great songs. He says, his final word was Jesus, and he needed no other one. Where did they receive this knowledge even before this? Perhaps, and we can't say with absolute certainty, perhaps being from the East, they still had Daniel's book, remember? The Babylonian captivity, and Daniel and his friends, and many of the Jews were taken into captivity, and it was there in the East, in Babylon, where Daniel received prophecies concerning the very coming of Jesus Christ himself. As it was there in Babylon where he predicted to the day that Messiah would be cut off. And so perhaps they had a copy of Daniel's prophecy concerning the coming of Messiah. That 62 weeks of years plus the seven weeks of years. And they were saying, now it's time to look for a sign. And God began to give them a sign in the stars to begin to work their way to this little town called Bethlehem. Psalm 14, verse 2, says, The Lord looks down from heaven to see if anyone seeks after Him. 
See, that's one of the paradoxes of Scripture. We say, wait a minute, how, how can we in our finiteness ever seek out an infinite God? And some would even argue we shouldn't even talk about seekers because no one is seeking God, but yet in Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 13, God says, seek me and you will find me if you search for me with all of your heart. And so sometimes it seems a little bit contradictory or a little bit confusing. Wait a minute. I thought that we couldn't seek God out, that God had to reveal Himself to us. After all, Luke 19.10, Jesus said, The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And so salvation has more to do with God finding me than me finding God. But here's what I believe the Bible is teaching us and telling us and explaining to us about seeking and, and what we can learn from these wise men. Seeking is not really the result of our wisdom Seeking is our response to His revelation. Seeking is, is our opening our eyes to see what God is revealing to us. When God begins to show us and, and reveal Himself to us and we receive it, that gives us the heart of a seeker saying, God, we want to hear from you. Much of the world is saying, God, we don't want to hear from you. God, we don't want to see you. If the gospel is true, that means my life is not, and my life does not line up with the life that God would have me live. If the gospel is true, then I have to repent and receive Jesus Christ as King of kings and Lord of lords. I have to put my faith and trust in Him. If the gospel is true, then I don't want to know. And so many don't have the heart of a seeker. They don't want to receive what it is that God is saying to them. The Lord looks down from heaven to see if anyone seeks after Him. That's sincere inquiry. So let's keep in mind that that's a response we can see around us, be sensitive to around us. There are those in this world who really want to know what this Christmas message is all about. And we've got to be willing to share with them. We need to be willing to explain to them. And so this is one of the greatest times of the year because you can get into a conversation with somebody about Christmas and you can say, at school, in your workplace, at a shopping mall, you can say, well, here's what I think Christmas is really all about. And if they're a sincere seeker, if they're giving an inquiry uh, about, hey, what is this? Why are we really doing this? Then you can begin to share with them the gospel of Jesus Christ as it was revealed to you through the Word of God. So we're going to talk about the need over the next three weeks to take that to our neighbors and to the nations and to the next generation. Don't be so upset with everybody out there who's running in so many different directions and you're like, oh, this, this commercialization of Christmas, they just don't get what it's all about and I'm sick of it. Listen, if they're out there celebrating, they're probably seeking something. They're looking for some answers. They're looking for some joy in what can be one of the most depressing times of the year for many. They're looking for something to get their arms around besides all those... TVs and computers and everything they're running out of stores with on Black Friday. They're looking for something that is real and lasting. Don't criticize them or, or beat up on them. Just share Christ with them. But what about those, this is the second group, those who express a sad indifference. A sad indifference. Remember, they came unexpectedly, which isn't such a big problem, except this is Jerusalem. They come into Jerusalem to, to the, the city of God, where the law was 
constantly kept before the people where all the prophecies were continually read in the temple. And they weren't even looking for anything to happen. It was unexpected. So the king assembled these chief priests and the scribes, asked them where the Messiah would be born, and they, well, let's tell you what the Scripture says. Because they loved to brag about how well they knew the Scriptures. We want to tell you what the Scripture says. But why didn't they get excited and say, really? You mean someone has come here seeking him? Perhaps the prophecy is being filled. Why did not these religious leaders rush to Bethlehem and say, we want to behold it for ourselves? I think it was a sad indifference. They had become so religious, and like so many Christians who will go to church this time of year, who will say, well, on uh, Christmas and Easter, I will show up at a place of worship because that's what you do on Christmas and Easter. You know the, what we call the CEO Christians Christmas and Easter only Christians, they'll show up and they'll say, well, I'm fulfilling my obligation. And they go through religious rituals this time of year. They might even go to a midnight mass this time of year. But there's a sad indifference when it comes to a change of life. And when we consider verse 4 and we think about John chapter 1 and verse 11 where it says, He came unto His own and His own received Him not. Didn't receive Him. A sad indifference to the coming of Christ. See, the the wise men here, they had come much later than sometimes what we realize. Uh, This isn't the nativity scene, uh, even though it makes for for, for a beautiful picture on our mantelpieces and, and, and on our tables to have the wise men at the nativity. This was months later that these wise men had showed up there in Bethlehem. We can tell that by the fact that they came to a house, not to the stable at an inn. And we can tell that by the fact that Herod was inquiring as to what time they had seen the star, and he began to take the lives later, and we'll talk about this in a moment, the children of those under a couple of years of age. Those who had had all the signs, those who had had the Scriptures, seemed to be indifferent. Not really care. Well, it's Christmas. So what? It's a sad indifference. Now, while we might look at the world today and we would say most of those who haven't really embraced the gospel would still fall into the category of those making a sincere inquiry. They are the, the kind of the seeker crowd. Increasingly today in America, we're seeing people who aren't hostile toward the things of God. They're just missing the main message of Christmas. It's relegated to lights, to Christmas trees, which are all wonderful. It's all the TVs and movies that come out this time of year that have very little to do with the message of the gospel. It's family time, which is a wonderful thing, but it's family time without a mention of Jesus. It's gift giving, and perhaps trying to keep up with everybody else, or being burned out on gift giving, but just a sad indifference when it comes to the true message. Of Christmas. It's getting involved in all the, the Black Friday shopping and everything else that people get involved in this time of year, or having your calendar so full and being so frustrated because you just can't get it all in, and we forget what it's all about. It's kind of deciding whether or not you're going to be a part of this party, but having no desire to make Jesus a part of the party. I mean, could you imagine Could you imagine for a moment that I overhear a conversation 
of where some folks threw me a big birthday party. And I'm like, when did this take place? Oh, Pastor Robbie, man, we had a huge celebration for your birthday party. Man, we had a blast. People came together. We had lots of food, lots of drink. We had a good time. We were eating all kinds of cakes and pot. Pastor Robbie, you would have loved. It was a great birthday party for you. Why wasn't I invited? Oh, we didn't really think about inviting you. Wait, wasn't the birthday party for me? Yeah, but we didn't think about actually inviting you. Well, that's what most of this sad indifference is about in the world today. As we look at, they're celebrating something. And it was supposedly all started because God the Son became a baby. But Jesus isn't invited to the party. Jesus isn't a part of the celebration. It's just a sad, we don't really want to think about the things of God. A sad indifference. They're not Scrooges. They're not trying to make it miserable for everybody else. Just don't want to talk about Jesus. Remember the rich young ruler? I think that's, that's where most, most of the folks celebrating Christmas are today. The rich young ruler who, who comes to Jesus and he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus explains the, first, he explains the final six commandments which all have to do with our relationship with others. And he goes, oh, I've kept all those commandments. But then he focuses on really the first four commandments. And he doesn't quote, Jesus doesn't quote the first four commandments. He just says this. Here's how he finds out if he means business. He says, go and sell all that you have, give it to the poor, and come and follow me. Am I going to be number one in your life or not? And it says that, well, he went away sad because he had great riches. And the point was, we don't earn our salvation by giving to the poor. But salvation comes when we turn from self and trust fully in Jesus Christ and in him alone and follow Him and give Him our lives. And I think this world is trying to have a celebration, but there's a sad indifference of who Jesus is, and they will go away sad like the rich, rich young ruler, trying to find everything this world can afford, and missing out on the one that it's all about. So they express a sad indifference. And with these folks, we need to remind them again, just like the first crowd. We don't have to beat them over the head with a 30-pound King James reference Bible. Just tell them, hey, it's all about Jesus. He loves you. He came into this world to die for you. He rose again to give you life everlasting. Put your trust in Him. Don't get caught up in everything else this time of year. And those things that it's good to be caught up in, make it a celebration about Jesus. Whether you're decorating a Christmas tree or stringing up lights or anything, remember, you're throwing a party for Jesus. And make him the most honored guest in your home, in your heart, in your life, in your workplace, in your school, wherever you go. Then this third crowd. This is a crowd we will have a difficult time with. And it's where we do need to pray for much wisdom. But it's the crowd that I think Herod represents. Those who attempt a savage intrusion of Christmas. It's more than a sad indifference. It's not like, well, if you want to do this, if you want to celebrate it, that's fine. We're not going to celebrate it. It's those who will do everything they can to stop the party. Everything they can to keep anybody else from experiencing Christ. Herod was a terrorist like no other. In verse 3, when he heard that there was a king to be born king of the Jews, it says he was deeply disturbed. That word has to do with 
agitated. He was tore up inside. He couldn't stand the fact that somebody would be a king of kings and a lord of lords, somebody that even he would have to bow down to. And that's what our world is experiencing in an increasing fashion today as well. I think maybe not so much as those who would have a sad indifference, but for those who would say, I cannot stand for something or somebody else to be God. I want to be the God of my own life. And so in verses 7 and 8, he secretly summoned these wise men. He wanted to know about when the star appeared. Then he tells them a lie. He says, go search carefully for the child, and when you find him, report back to me so that I too can come worship him. Herod did not want to worship him. Herod wanted to annihilate him. And there are those where in this world there's a sad indifference. If you want to worship Jesus, that's good for you, but leave me out of it. But there are others in this world that cannot stand the fact that you will want to exalt Jesus in your life. And Herod represents this crowd. You continue to see this story, how ruthless he became in verse 16. Herod, when he saw that he had been outwitted by the wise men, flew into a rage He gave orders to massacre all the male children in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under, in keeping with the time he had learned from the wise men. Then what was spoken through Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. A voice was heard in Ramah weeping, great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children. One of the most legitimate sites you can visit in the Holy Land even today is when you go to Bethlehem, they marked the tomb where Rachel was buried, and you can still visit the site of Rachel's tomb today there in Bethlehem. And Rachel would have been buried there at this time, and it says Rachel, even in her tomb, is weeping for her children, and she refused to be consoled because they were no more. This crowd isn't indifferent at all. Christmas meant that there would be a king the world would have to answer to one day, The world so despises that message that some move from a sad indifference to a hostile attack, a savage intrusion. Now, I know that we can sometimes point to retailers and advertisers who seem to be attacking the message. It seems that political correctness wants again to keep that guest of honor away from the party. But we also need to have our eyes open that we live in a world where there's a new war going on. A war against everything that has to do with Jesus. Where we kick Jesus out and the Bible out of everything and want no influence of the gospel in our lives. See, it's a sad indifference that says our business or our school or our family isn't going to celebrate the Jesus aspect of Christmas but when we try to persecute and attack others who do want to celebrate Jesus, then it becomes this savage invasion. When it gets to the point when we say our business or our school or our government locally or nationally, our family is going to ask that you as an employee or a customer refrain from any of the politically incorrect hogwash about Jesus at Christmas, then it becomes an intrusion. This is where we must learn to, listen, fight fire with love. (laughs) Fight fire with grace. Fight fire with courage. 
This is where we have to learn to apply Jesus' words, be as shrewd as a snake, but as harmless as a dove, and still seek every opportunity to point people to Jesus. We forget that in our lostness, we are at enmity with God. And so those who don't know Jesus are often acting as their nature would have them act, and they simply need the same gospel that the first two groups need. But as Christians, sometimes we look at the first group and we almost don't even notice that, man, they're looking for something they're seeking, and we forget to be an answer, so we kind of ignore them. And the second group, we say, well, you know, they don't celebrate Christmas, but they're nice, and so we'll kind of leave them alone. But that third group, we kind of roll up our sleeves and we say, we're going to let them have it when perhaps they, as much as the first two groups, just need to know the message of the gospel demonstrated in your life of speaking forth courageously the love of Christ and what the Christmas story means to you. Here's what Daniel chapter 12, you, you want to be a wise man, you want to be a wise woman, here's what Daniel 12.3 says, Those who are wise will shine like the bright expanse of the heavens, and those who lead many to righteousness like stars, like the stars forevermore. See, not only can you be a wise man or a wise woman, a wise teenager, you can be a star. Jesus put it this way. He said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. Glorify your Father in heaven. And so if hate comes against, if even the hate of a Herod comes against you, return a love that they won't know what to do with. Share the love of Christ and the hope of Christmas, and the difference Jesus has made in your life. If He's made a difference, right? Share the love of Christ. Lead them to righteousness and shine like stars forever and ever. Would you bow your heads with me?